Um, Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2. I just want to say publicly thank you to Cedric and his family for uh, stepping in while we were out last week. Um, I'm feeling much, much better. Um, yeah. So the last time that we gathered together and we read out of Acts chapter 2 that we saw the power of the Holy Spirit descending at the, at the middle of chapter 2. Um, and how many people got saved? 3,000 people, according to the text, were added to um, the, the number of the church that day. The, the, the saved, there were 3,000 that were saved that day. And, and just what a day that would have been. What a day that would have been to see the gospel proclaimed in multiple languages to multiple people. And, and people got saved and, and the world began to see transformation. And so this week, uh, what we see next is we, um, we're going to see what happens after that initial evangelistic event. Um, Oftentimes what we do is we push to, we, we love to see the evangelistic outreach. We love to see people saved and there's nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful, that's good, and that's glorious. But what happens after the salvation experience is important. The discipleship, the growing, the, the cultivating of, of a new believer is, is in, it's important. Um, I, I know that that side of the nitty gritty of it, of going in day in and day out and saying this is what it looks like to follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ. It might not be as exciting as that initial come to Christ and everybody's just, oh, yeah, everybody's excited. Uh, but we're told by Jesus to make disciples of men and women. This means that we need to invest. We need to pray and we need to teach the scriptures with all Power and all authority given to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, so what I want to do is I want us to see in the next portion of the text what Jesus commands us to do. I, I was reading through this text this week and as I was reading it, um, I thought about the modern church. I thought about how we in, in the church world today in 2021 are doing things and we get into buildings and we sit just like we're doing here and we consume and we we walk away sometimes a lot of times unchanged by the message we just say we've been doing this for 20 30 40 50 years it's what we do we come in and we sit and we consume and we take and this is what we're supposed to do but what what am i doing what am I doing to actually believe and follow the word of God? Now, I want you to understand that I'm not knocking sitting in rooms like this, worshiping, worshiping and gathering together because we're called by God to not to forsake the, the gathering together and to worship together. But what I'm trying to do is I want us to dis, have a disrupting idea of what being the church should look like, not just going to church, but actually being the church. And so going once or twice a week and consuming what one guy says and then doing nothing with that information until the next following week. And we come and do the same thing over and over again. I just don't think that that's what the early church was doing. I, I read the text and I just don't think that that's what we're called to do. So let's look at Acts chapter two. and We're going to start in verse 42. 
And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and of the breaking of bread and of prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and belongings and distributing them all the proceeds to all who had needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, um, they received their as they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day who were being saved. So. We see in the text here that, that God's doing something in this. It's not just a weekly thing where they gather together and sit in a room and consume. It says that, number one, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, to fellowship and to taking. Now, when it says breaking of bread, if you actually understand that, that means that they dedicated themselves to the Lord's Supper, taking the Lord's Supper together and doing that in remembrance of him. So they devoted themselves to these ideas and to these things, and they, they engaged in this thought process, and they engaged in this lifestyle. They devoted themselves. They were themselves connected with what was going on around them. They had actively had a desire to study God's word. They did not just come and blankly stare at the wall and get distracted by something else when they were gathered together. They devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word. They, they gathered together and they did not need entertainment to keep them connected and engaged into the study of God's word. They didn't need a light show. They didn't need fog. They didn't need any of these things. They gathered in rooms together and they opened God's word and they studied God's word together. And the, the apostles taught and, and the people that were there, they devoted themselves to that teaching and they listened to it. They devoted to it. They didn't need a celebrity preacher to keep their attention. They were devoted I've mentioned this story before, but um, often when people gather in church, the attention span is so short and, and they just, most people say you, if you go over 30 minutes, you just, you can't keep people in a church service. You just, you just can't keep the people's attention over 30 minutes and they'll, they'll just blank out and they'll leave and it'll be over with. Caleb, you've got to, you got to keep your message 20 to 25 minutes. You just can't go over that. But when we're sitting in a movie for two and a half to three hours, depending if we go to the director's cut, if we go to the director's cut, it might be three hours, three and a half hours, maybe four, depending on which movie it is. We don't have an attention span problem in the movies. We don't have an attention span problem in the football game. We don't have an attention span problem at the concerts. Steve Lawson says that men and women do not have attention problems, but rather they have heart problems. What needs to happen is there needs to be repentance and there needs to be a new life that is regenerated in the hearts of men and women. What needs to happen is that there needs to be a devotion to God's word. David Platt told a story several years ago 
that uh, he was in, he went to Asia, and while he was there, he, he prepared, he was doing a church leadership summit, and so he was gathered all the church leaders at this certain area in Asia, and they gathered together, and he prepped his normal 40 to 50 minute sermon, and they, they did their sermon, he did his sermon, and he gets done, and he prays, and he closes his Bible, and the people in the pews said, wait a second, what are you doing? What? Why are you stopping? He said, well, that's all I've planned for. He goes, well, let's keep going. So he opened back up his Bible and then he just went verse by verse through the scriptures. Twelve hours later, they stopped. They said, let's come back and do it again tomorrow. And so they came back together for 12 hours the next day and then the next day and then the next day. Sitting in rooms. Opening God's word and studying God's word together for 12 hours a day. If I go over 35 minutes, people start to get antsy. They devoted themselves to the fellowship of the the saints. They, They devoted themselves to the study of God's word. They prayed and they worshiped and they studied God's word intensely. They had a longing to know the the teachings of Christ. They they gathered together and they devoted themselves in rooms and homes together and they broke open God's word and they poured over this because this was all, for some of these people, this was brand new information. And so they started, they had this absolute awe and wonder of what they were seeing and what they were teaching and what they were being taught. The early church didn't struggle with people not wanting to be in church. The early church devoted themselves and dedicated to study God's word together. Our attention spans have caused us to sacrifice so many things that truly do matter. And a bulk of churchgoers see individuals, and this is, this is the sad part, is people who look at God's word. If I said, listen, next two Sundays we're going to do a 12-hour Bible study, there wouldn't be many folks show up. They'd say, oh, that sounds a little too much, Caleb. I dedicate an hour, maybe 45 minutes, but I, I don't know if we can go 12 hours. A bulk of churchgoers see individuals who long to study God's word that way as fanatical or, or radical. But this early church, that's what they did. Like this was their whole world revolved around what happened in this community. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. To fellowship and to the breaking of bread. So this next one, so they see that number one, they they dedicated to the study of God's word. Number two, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They got together and they fellowshiped around the idea of worshiping Jesus. The conversations that they had were about loving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. They gathered together as Christian brothers and sisters should be gathering together. They had this idea of radical hospitality. Everyone's doors were open in the the church. You need something? I got you. You need to come over? Come over. Radical hospitality should be a regular staple of a Christian's walk. Being busy has become a curse in our day. When you have to ask people 
Or, or when, you, when you ask people, how are things going in their world? And the standard reply for most people is, oh, it's fine. Or, oh man, I'm, I'm so busy. Ask people when they, how things going? Man, I'm doing pretty good. But man, we're busy. Man, we are so busy. Are we really? Are we really busy or are we just choosing to say so so that people don't interrupt our lives? We, we say we're busy. We say we've got a lot going on. I remember as a kid, like I grew up in the church planning world. My mom and dad were church planners for the Southern Baptist Convention. That's what we did. And when we gathered together, people, I remember getting around people's tables the old men and the old young men together talking, the old women and the young women talking together around tables, fellowshipping and laughing and, and, and entertaining, just being entertained with one another. Like there was nothing fancy about us being together, but we were together. And the conversations that we were having were gospel-centered conversations. We were seeing new people become to follow Christ. Those that had been, there were men and women saved out of the Catholic Church, out of the Mormon Church. They were gathered around the table learning about the things of God over a steak dinner. I'll never forget, we had this one guy named Jim Thompson. Jim was a giant of a man. I, maybe just as a kid, he just looked bigger, but I just remember him just being so tall, and this big, huge red beard. And we were having a church picnic at his house. And this is Wyoming. Wyoming's Wild Wild West. It just was. We had a whole group of people out in the, in the backyard. And the neighbor next door to Jim's t- house, his, his dog was just yapping at the fence. And bop, 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 bop. Jim hollered at his neighbor and said, neighbor, could you put your dog up? It's just, man, it's scaring the kids. And we're trying to have a church fellowship here. Neighbor said some choice words, but the idea was, no, we're not going to put the dog up. Jim said, that's all right. He came back out with a 41 Magnum pistol, put the pistol down, down next to the dog's head, popped off, <laughs> popped off around, and that dog went running back inside and never saw him for the rest of the night. I just, just, I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff. I, I mean, but he, had just, he was the guy that, that was saved out of the Catholic Church. The dad said, Jim, we can't, you know, these were conversations. Jim, we can't do that. That's not how we as Christians, we can't do that. That's not right. We can't go shooting at people's dogs. That's not how things work, Jim. When Dad was grow- when we were growing up in Wyoming, or when I was growing up in Wyoming, the, the largest other church in Wright, Wyoming, was the Mormon Church, and the Mormon Church was coming right behind Dad in his in his in his visiting of people, and he'd say, they'd say, "Listen." The Latter-day Saints were just like the Baptist church, but we just got more to offer. And so dad decided, well, this is, this, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to put up posters around town. They're old Wild West posters that offered rewards. If you, if you could prove that the Mormons weren't teaching X doctrines, one, two, three, four, five, you'd get $10,000. Well, the, the Mormon church didn't like that. I started calling dad at night, leaving him vile messages. It's creepy messages. Well, Jim Thompson, brand new believer, comes to the house and said, no one's going to talk trash about my pastor. No one's going to try to threaten my pastor. Pulled out his pistol and his baseball bat and said, no, Jim, you got Jim was a minor. You just had to know it was wild, wild. Jim, that's not how we handle things here. That's not how things work. 
And so this uh, there was a rough and tumble crowd in the beginning of, of, of the church in Wyoming. I have a feeling there was a lot of the same kind of idea. There was a rough and tumble crowd in the beginning. And they get to get around the table together and say, this is how we love our enemies. This is how we love people. This is how we spread the gospel. We, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. And so they devoted their, themselves to fellowship. And I just remember sitting as a kid, watching my dad, watching the elders of the church grow the, and cultivate the men and women of the community that we lived in. And that was just the world, fellowshipping with other believers, spending time with the family. I remember sitting around tables and listening to stories, listening to the adults pray for one another, laying on of hands of each other. This is the same idea that happened in the church of Acts. They laid hands on one another. They prayed for one another. They fellowship with one another. And they didn't have to lay out their calendars to plan out doing something in 45 days. If somebody showed up, nobody was freaked out. Everybody was welcome to come in. Now in the world in which we live, we have to get our phones out and our devices and our calendars. Okay, Chancey, I can come over to your house in about 7 to 10 weeks. Can you, what, what's your calendar look like in 7 to 10 weeks from you, Chancey? What, what's it look like? Can we, can we put that together? And if somebody shows up just off the cuff in today's world, who's here? I'll never I'll forget that. Never forget that comedian that I watched the other day. I saw him the other day. He said, we've grown up. And, and when I was growing up, people would show up. Mom always had a cake on the table. Because guests might show up. That was when I grew up. Now we grow up, if the doorbell rings... We crawl through the house in fear of somebody that might see us on, on the couch. Who's here? Oh, it's company. No one's here. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. We, don't ha- we didn't have to schedule out 45 days in advance to fellowship together and then cancel the last minute because something came up. Most people... Do what they want to do. And if we, want, if we don't want to fellowship together, it's because, well, we don't want to fellowship. And most of us do what we want to do. The early church had a transformed mindset about the idea of fellowshipping with one another. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, love one another with brotherly affections and outdo one another in showing honor. Go above and beyond to try to outdo one another. How many of you guys have seen the bumper sticker, my kid's smarter than your kid? My, my, my elementary school student's smarter than your college student. It's, a, it's just crazy bumper stickers. We like to try to outdo one another in the world in which we live. Well, Paul says that we need to try to outdo one another in showing honor. This idea, once again, with brotherly affection, is this idea of devoting and dedicating to each other in such a way that we're willing not to not to try or not to try and avoid each other, but we want to try to outdo one another. Not to try to make ourselves look better, our families look better, but man, we're gonna outdo one another in showing honor. How can I honor your family? How can I love your family? How can I take care of those that are outside of the walls of my house? This is this idea of fellowshipping together. And honoring the person that's next door. You're not selfish. You're selfless. 
Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Man, if we just, if every one of us said, you know what, that's going to be my plan, that's going to be my goal in my own personal life, is I'm going to let others, I'm going to let each one of us look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus, who through, though he was in the form of God. Think about this is what Jesus did. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Oh, dearly beloved Christian, we should have a desire to be around one another and to empty ourselves so that someone else can be filled up. Christ is the common denominator for all things and it trumps all things. Christ trumps my political views. Christ trumps my personal affections. The gospel trumps all other affections and and affiliations or desires, period. Because here's the thing. In 10,000 years, you and I will be standing on the word of God, nothing else. Nothing else. Not only were they dedicated to fellowshipping with one another, they were dedicated to taking the Lord's Supper. Now, the word, when you read it here, you have to do a little bit of digging because when you first read it, it says to fellowship into the breaking of bread. Now, when you first read that, you think, well, they probably were just eating steaks and hanging out together. Maybe. But if you do a little bit of digging, you see that that breaking of bread is... This idea of remembering the sacrifice that Christ had done on our behalf. When it says broke bread, the reference here is to make is taking communion, taking it together in remembrance of what Jesus had done. Matthew Henry says that the frequency joined in the ordinances of the Lord's Supper, they continued in the breaking of bread and celebrating the memorial of their master's death. As those that were not ashamed to be um, to be on their to be the own. I'm sorry. Wow. They were celebrating the memorial of their master's death as those that were not ashamed to remember and depend upon Christ and what he had done being crucified on the cross. They could not forget the death of Christ, yet they kept up the memorial of it and made their constant practice because it was the it was instituted by Christ himself. And to be transmitted, it was to be transmitted to the succeeding ages of the church. So this was this was something that was to be passed on to remember these things. We as Christians are called to do this. Those that are called by Christ are called to do this. There's a reason we still have tables that say, do this in remembrance of me. Because this is something we're supposed to continue to do. We're making this 
Now, my plan is I, I want to try at least, and there's no formula in the Bible. There's no formula that says, okay, you do it once a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a what. There's no formula. It just says, as often as you do this, do remember why you do it. As often as you do it. We've, we've chosen that we like to try to start doing this once a month where we reflect and thank God for loving us enough to give his life, to redeem us, to buy us back, and to call us out from the portals of death and hell. And just like, just, just so we can be clear on this, just like with baptism, this is the second, this is the second ordinance of the church. We have baptism and the Lord's Supper. And just like the other ordinances, there are other churches that teach that when you take this, it brings salvation or it turns into the body or blood of Christ, like the actual physical body of Christ, the actual blood of Christ. It's called transubstantiation. It is not true. This is once again a symbol. It is a picture of Christ's work. It is a picture of the gospel, period. Nothing else. <clears throat> just like baptism, it has no saving abilities. Therefore, this is a picture that we are to be laid out as the gospel. And what's, what's one picture that the enemy would love to distort? The gospel. Man, if, we could, if he could figure out a way to mess up the gospel, that picture of the death, burial, and resurrection, and say, okay, listen, you don't, it's, you're not saved by grace through faith. You're saved because you take the bread. Oh, you're saved because you're dipped in the water. One message that the enemy could love to mess up, that'd be it. Don't buy into that. But remember, we gather together and we remember what Christ has done. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried for three days and then he was raised on the third day for our justification. Whew. So therefore, the Lord's Supper is exclusive for believers and it's important. So we need to do that. So that's number three. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, taking the Lord's Supper. Number four, they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. James chapter five, verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. As I believe that followers of Christ, when we pray together, when we gather, when we pray for certain things that take place, I believe that it changes the lives of people that we pray for. Amen? Anybody else believe that? When, I, when we pray for someone to be saved, then we believe that, we pray for them. And that could change people's lives. When we pray for these young people that are going to go to camp and say, God, speak to them, draw them to yourself, woo them to who you are. God, I pray that you do that. I believe that when followers of Christ pray for one another, that changes lives. When we submit our requests to God and humble, in a humble fashion, in a humble manner, it changes not only our lives, but the world around us. We're called by the scriptures to pray for one another. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Pray in all the spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So this is what we're called to do. Paul tells us in Ephesians to stay alert and to keep on praying for all the Lord's people. How many guys have ever said, when somebody says, hey, can you pray for me? You say, oh, yes, I'll do that. And how many of you don't do that? <laughs> Am I the only one? Hey, brother, can you pray for me? Oh, I'd be glad to. I'd be glad to. I've had people stand and you know, do that to me, and then, they stop, and then they just stand there like, let's go ahead and do it. Let's just go ahead and do it now. Oh, okay. Let's pray. We're called by Scripture to stay alert and to keep praying for all of the Lord's people. There are several of you who have let me know on a regular basis that you're praying for me. You're praying for my family. And it's one of the biggest joys of my day. When I get a text message or I get a phone call that says, Hey, Brother Gordon, I just want you to know I'm praying for you and your family. I'm praying that God would, that would use you today. It's, it's just one of the joys of my day when I get those messages. We are called by God to pray for each other and to do so with a thankful heart. And as a result, look at this in chapter 2, verse 43. As a result of the church doing just these four simple little things. Look what happens in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. <clears throat> Awe and wonder came upon them. Over every soul. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with a little bit of, a little bit of fear and a little bit of wonder. They saw what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing through the early church. And everyone who saw this looked at it and said, wow, something's different here. What they were seeing was truly otherworldly. It was supernatural. And the people around them knew that it was different. Do we have that kind of otherworldliness? Do we radiate this supernatural power to the world around us? Or does everyone around you, oh yeah, I know they go to that church. But they're not really no different than anybody else that's around them. It was supernatural and the people around them knew it was supernatural. It was not to be treated with a haphazard attitude or approach. It was approached in such a way that those who saw it were in total wonder at what was being, what was going on and what they were experiencing. Oh, that believers in 2021 would approach the same Type, with, with this same type of awe, with this same type of reverential respect, with the same kind of, man, this is different. We, we're to call and look on things differently. We have a little bit of awe, a little bit of whimsy about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 4 says, And calling to him a child, he put him, on the, put him in the midst of them, and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So I can, I can see Jesus doing this where he just pulls up a seat 
And he grabs a kiddo and he's, he pulls that kid out and, and pulls him up on his knee and says, look at this kiddo. You see this kiddo? See how he's got that awe and that whimsy and that just new, just ah, everything's amazing. That's what happens when, I mean, when, when kids come to Christ, I, we don't have to like begrudge him and be like, come on now. They come and they're just like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And you get older people that have been through the ringer a couple times and they get a little curmudgeoned and they're like, eh, I need some proof. I need to see some stuff. They get a little grumpy. There's, I want to praise the Lord. Bless God. But you get somebody, I think of like Colin. I think of that little, just that excited little kid. He's coming here before. He's like, Caleb, 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 I prayed for you today. And I'm like, no, that's so awesome. I love it. I love that you prayed for me, buddy. That's so incredible. Like little kids have this whimsy about them that they are so excited about the things of God. I think of, you know, I think about on, the, on Christmas morning when kids come down the stairs or come down around the hall, they're excited, they're bouncing, they're excited about what they see and they're just they got this awe and wonder and we as adults just, oh, we're not excited. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, he calls this child up to him, puts him in the midst of him and says, truly, I say to you, unless you come like a, like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child who comes in, like they know they're a mess. So, yep, I'm a sinner. They're quick to repent. They're quick to say, yes, I am a sinner. I need to ask God to save me. I need that. Jesus was not calling us to be childish, but rather childlike in our awe of who he is. Childlike faith. Being childlike in our faith. We believe without question. We don't have to have all the evidence and all the information, all the know-how. We just say, I mean, I believe. Yes, I believe. We hear it and we humbly agree to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. I think sometimes what happens is... We become older and we gain knowledge. And it can cause us to become arrogant. We know, we know it all. We become junior theologians. Well, what's your, what's your eschatological predisposition? What? Just that Jesus saved me. When the blind man was saved in the scriptures, Jesus... When, when the blind man could see, when, God, when Jesus saved him and healed him and brought his sight back, they pulled him in into the, into the council. They started questioning all these questions. And I, listen, all I know is I was once blind and now I see. That's the kind of faith we're called to have. I, all I know is I was blind, I was dead, and now I can see. Oh. And we would just step back. And actually just, man, I just want to know who Jesus is. What God has called us to do is to have childlike awe and wonder and faith in who he truly is and just believe in him and to follow him. Believe that God can and will do what he says he will do. When we read that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, rather than trying to become a junior theologian or a professor... We just take it at face value and believe that Jesus can save who he wants to save. I don't know. I 
Could Jesus save them? Like, that's even in the Bible. There had groups of people where they were standing around. Could those, could those Gentiles be saved? I don't know. We better get a council together. Let's get a committee. Let's find out if they can be saved. Because I don't know. We do the same thing today. I don't know if Chuck can be saved. I don't know if Sally can be saved. Can they? They're a mess. Well, so were you. Jesus saved you. Believe with awe that God can do what God wants to do. Believe with awe and wonder that God can save whoever he chooses to save. Believe with awe and wonder that God can and will answer your prayers if, you're, if you come to him in a humble state like a child. Hmm. Go to John chapter 14. I want you to see this. Go flip over just a couple pages to John chapter 14. Listen to this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, think about this. We, if we just come to him in a, in a humble fashion and ask what he has for us to ask. Now, that's, this isn't the prayer, God, I need a Lamborghini and a new, a new house and a fat bank account. That's not this prayer. It's the prayer that God wants you to pray. Ask whatever you will as according to my will. I'll do it. I'll do it. We're called by God to be childlike in our faith, not childish. There's a big difference. there's There's a difference between childish and childlike. And the best way to know what the difference is, is to be connected into God's word. Studying this, reading it, looking over what the word has for us to do. This is important stuff. And we're seeing this stuff come to play all through the text. And as a result of these things taking place in the text and all these things taking place, look what happens in verse 47. Of Acts, back to Acts 2. Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh, this was such, this would be such a neat thing to be a part of, where people would just say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do what Christ has called me to do. I'm gonna fellowship, I'm gonna study, I'm gonna devote myself to these things, I'm gonna devote myself to prayer. I mean, you're gonna see here in a little while in the book of Acts where, man, they prayed. And some of the people in the church didn't even believe the prayers, but God used the people that did believe and literally shook the ground and saved people out of prison and did some incredible stuff. Like, that happened in humans' lives in the church. Like, we're sitting in a church right now. This is what the church was. People gathered together and they devoted themselves to these things. And man, look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple. Now, they went to church every day. Some of us struggle to get here once a week. They came every day to the temple. 
gather together and breaking bread in their homes together. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. And they, they love to fellowship with one another. They love to be together as believers together. Oh, that we would have a different mindset, man. That this is not our home. That we would have a mindset of Christ. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to be yours and do what you've called me to do. Regardless of what happens, I want to follow you. And I want to show off the wonders of the gospel to the world around me. And I want people to have awe and wonder at who, I, at who you are through me. That's what I want to see. Jesus has called us to do these things and to put our faith in him and to have this awe and this wonder and this excitement for who he is. Oh, that we'd not give up. Like I know the world's crazy right now. I know that there is a lot happening. But man, as you read through this, there was a lot that started taking place here for these people. They started getting thrown in jail. They started being put to death. There was a lot of stuff happening, but God, God's plan is not stopped by human schemes. God's divine plans are never stopped by human schemes. We have a job and a mandate to make disciples. And I would challenge us that we would read through the book of Acts and that we would, as we see this, to say, man, God, I want this in my own life. I want to be able to say that I'm devoting myself to your word and to your teaching, that I'm devoting myself to, to breaking bread in the, in the communion and, and to fellowshipping with one another and to praying for one another. And guess what? When we do those kind of things, we begin to see men and women's lives around us transform. Not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ in us doing what he's already going to do. And I want to be in on that. I want to be a part of that. Anybody else? Like, I want to be a part of what Jesus Christ is going to do, saving men and women around us. And it's just by us. All you got to do is be a little bit different. You got to look a little bit different than the world. Set your priorities on things other than the stuff we set our priorities on. Yeah. Next week, we'll see where... Peter and some of the disciples get in and they get to, they start healing folks. They start preaching the gospel. They start seeing more people say like this story after story after story about what God does through these simple human beings because they had childlike faith. Jesus is calling you and I to have childlike faith, to follow him, to devote ourselves to him, into his mission. My hope and my prayer for us today is that that would be our calling. That would be our desire to, to all push all the chips in and say, Jesus, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for this community, God, I want in. I want to be a part of it. I want to have radical hospitality. I don't want to be this guy that closes off to everyone around me. I want to open my door to whoever needs something. I want to take care of folks that need it. I want our church to be a church that opens our doors to help those that need help, to pray for those that need to be prayed for, to those that need to be looked after, that we would do that. 
that we would be different, that we would be a community that shows off the gospel, not just comes and sits and consumes, but we would be, we would be people that say, man, whatever Christ wants for us to do, man, we're going to do it, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's a little weird to us, we're going to step outside of that comfort zone. And we're going to go after and we're going to do what Christ has called us to do. I believe when we do that, things are going to look different. Amen. Let's stand again.